This morning, my name's Sai, if you didn't get that uh, already, and I'm speaking from the, the book of Joshua to you, Joshua chapter 10, we're in this morning. But what I thought I'd do is I would start with a little competition, okay? People here like competitions? Good, good, because I'm going to need two volunteers to compete against each other here at the front in their knowledge of Joshua's chapter 1 to 9. Any volunteers? Oh, there's a prize. There's a prize as well. Don't worry. There's no expense spared by us. Oh, yes. This, you are competing. Uh, Luke's in. Yeah. Any, any others? Any others? Oh, Nick. Okay, this is great. This is great. Right. Let me, I just need two chairs for this as well. Let me grab two chairs. Should we welcome our contestants? <laughs> oh, let's put it on the stage so people can see. One of you want to sit there? One of you want to sit there? Now, when I was younger, there used to be something called Whack-A-Day. Anyone here remember Whack-A-Day? Yeah, Timmy Mallet, that's right. And on Whack-A-Day, the, the, the contestants would have to compete against each other. And when one person would say something, and then the next person would say something, and the next person, and then when the, the, the other person couldn't say anything, they not only uh, they didn't win, but they got whacked with something. Now, it was going to be with a mallet, but, uh, but the trustees said I wasn't allowed to whack anyone with a mallet for legal reasons. So it's just this pink, fluffy cushion. I'm holding what, sorry? Oh, they, they don't mind a zip. They're tough. They're tough, these guys. Okay, so what, so what I want you to do is, uh, is one of you, whatever you can remember from the first nine chapters of Joshua, any themes or anything that happened, you go, for, I'll start with Nick, and then we'll go over to Luke, and then go over to Nick. So, for example, I'll get, I'll get this out there first, because I know you guys may struggle to say this in front of everyone else, but I had to say the word circumcised so many times uh, when I was going through Joshua chapter 5. So one of you might say, oh, circumcised at Gilgal, and then someone else would say something else. Okay? You know what you're doing? Can I just pull that down? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you go first. You, anything from the first nine chapters. Circumcision. <laughs> okay, well, don't you? <laughs> Um, crossing the Jordan. Crossing the Jordan. Stuff. Stuff. Oh, come on. Think, think, think. Tick, 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 tick. Circumcision. <laughs> oh, that was a... <laughs> there you go, Luke. Oh, well. Okay. Well done. That was an easy one there. Well done. Let's give him a round of applause. Easy Mars bar. Oh, good job I didn't put a lot of money into that one, hey? <laughs> anyway, anyway, today... We're going to continue in Joshua, and we'll see how the enemies of God gather against the people of God, only to discover the truth that Psalm chapter 2, or Psalm 2, tells us, where it says, Why do the nations rage, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. He who sits in heaven laughs. <laughs> he will speak to them in his wrath. Or was it more? I saw more. I don't know. Anyway, uh, he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. You see, we as the people of God, as 
we step out in faith, we can expect God to move in power as we follow his, uh, as we follow his leading. So let's have a look at the book of Joshua. I'll read chapter 10, verses 1 to 15, because that kind of sums up all that, uh, that happens in, in that chapter. The, the later verses sort of just revisit in a bit more detail what happens. So it says this, As soon as Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibbon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly, because Gibbon was a great city, like one of the royal cities. And because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Debur, king of Eglon, saying, Come to me and help me, and let us strike Gibbon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with their armies and encamped against Gibbon and made war against it. And the men of Gibbon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servant. Come from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and, the might, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came up upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. And the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibbon and chased them by the way of the scent of Beth Horon and struck them as far uh, as Ezekah and Makeda, or something like that. Anyway, if you say it with confidence, you'll never know, will you? And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horam, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Ezekah. And uh, they died. And uh, there were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the son, sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibbon, and moon in the valley of Aegelon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp of Gilgal. My friend, today I want to look at how we're called to be people who honour our word, who step out in faith, and who expect God to move in power 
amongst us this morning. So firstly, calling to be people that honour our words. Remember last time Dunk spoke on chapter 9 of Joshua, and he spoke on how the Gibeonites had deceived the Israelites, and the Israelites had made an oath to not to, to, to look after them and to uh, protect them. But because, it says, because they did not seek the law. They didn't realize, actually, these were some of the very people they were supposed to be driving out. So Joshua, in this chapter, he could almost sit back, if you like, and say, ah, well, I can't finish you off, because I promise I won't, but I'll just let these other guys do it, and I'll come a little bit late, and then, I thought, you know, then I'm out of this tricky situation. But he doesn't do that. He is quick to honour the full extent of his word and goes up to, to rescue them. Now, I just want to briefly touch on honouring our word this morning, because we live in a day and age where words are cheap, where words have no value, where if it's, if it's unsigned, it's as good as unsaid in society around us. Sayings like, my word is like oak, or my word is my bond, have no meaning anymore. But for us as Christians, this should not be the case. Jesus says this, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So from that, all of us, I think, as you read that, think, uh-oh, I'm in trouble before God, because you know, we all know we've said things that we shouldn't have done. Only Jesus would pass this test. However, thanks, thanks be to God, because Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 says this, conf- um, that if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your mouth one believes and is justified. Sorry, with your heart one believes and is justified. And with your mouth one confesses and is saved. Praise God, the very instrument, our mouth, that gets us into so much trouble, according to the Bible, is also the very instrument that God uses to bring about part of our, our salvation before him. Now, obviously, if you can't speak for sort of physical reasons, God can see through to your heart. So uh, I'm not talking about that. But for most of us, I think for everyone in the room, we can talk. And God wants us to use our words wisely. You see, more than this, Jesus says, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. What he's saying is, say what you mean and stay true to what you have said as far as depends on you. Be people who keep their words, even if it costs you. Don't be people that sort of say, oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe I can do that, when you really mean no. Have that awkward conversation. Say, actually, no, I don't think I can do that this time. Or when you've let somebody down, because you said something and you know you, you can't, can't quite fulfill it, don't just say, pretend nothing's happened. Apologize to them as well. And say, I'm really sorry I did that, or that happened, this and this happened, and uh, I wasn't able to, to do it. You see, we serve a God who is faithful to his word. He never lets his word fall down. And we as his people should be people of not only his word, but people of our words as well. Our yeses should be yes and our no will be no. Of course, all of us 
we'll fail in this because we all, we all do. We're not perfect. But yet the Bible tells us if we confess our sins, then he is faithful to forgive us. So when we do fail with our words, all we need to do is, again, use our mouth to come to God and confess our sins and then apologize to others. And he is faithful to forgive us. Anyhow, I said I'd be brief on this one because I want to spend most of the time looking at how Israel stepped out in faith and how God moved in power when they did. So secondly, stepping out in faith. Notice how Joshua knows what the right thing is to do before God, and he is quick to honour his word. Thus he and the people of Israel have to march 15 miles uphill to go and to fight this enemy, an enemy in the natural that they should be afraid of because they had the upper hand, physically speaking, they were on a higher location, and it was a united army uh, against them. Yet Joshua and, his, and the army step out in faith for war. And they, when they engage the enemy, they don't just stop at that. They pursue the enemy for a further 30 miles amongst them. My friends, as Christians, we are in a battle. Do you know that? We're in a battle. It's not a physical one because Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting. But our battle is ultimately against the ultimate enemy of sin, Satan, and the kingdom of darkness. That's who we're fighting against. Yes, we respond, uh, it works out in the physical, and we're called to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it works out in the physical, but it is essentially a spiritual battle that we're engaged in. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 5 say this, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. So in Paul's day that would be swords and spears, and our days it's tanks and guns and and that sort of thing. They're not of that, that nature, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What strongholds? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You know, we as Christians are called to to shoot holes in any argument or ideologies that are out there or in our hearts that take away from the glory of God and distract people from from God as well. But we're called to do it not in an aggressive, argumentative, sort of a cowboy-type type way. We're called to do it in a gentle, loving way, just like Jesus did. Yes, you will feel nervous when you do this, when you engage in talking uh, to people. But that's because you're in a battle. The people of Israel, I'm sure, as they were marching up that hill, would have felt nervous as they were going towards an enemy who had the advantage on every front, apart from the fact that God was not with them. Uh, Acknowledge that feeling that you feel nervous. Ask God for help 
and then choose to speak out and engage in that discussion in your workplace. And just to, just to warn you, people won't just say, ah, oh, thanks for that. Well, I can't say Jenny because I work with her. So, <laughs> you know, thanks for that, Paul. That's great that, you, uh, that you, you, you think that. I must respond to Jesus. I must, I must accept Jesus. You're so right. No, people will come back at you with, with stuff. Be prepared for that. But keep calm. Be gentle. Be loving. And just engage with them in conversation uh, about Jesus. You see, you may lose the argument, but if you conduct yourself like that, actually you will warm people towards the message and you will end up winning some as well. You see, whether you like it or not, when you became a Christian, you chose to engage in this spiritual battle. And as a Christian, you have a certain smell. Do you know that? As a Christian, you have a certain smell. I won't say sniff the person next to you. It might be a little bit uh, embarrassing. But you know, have, you, uh, have you ever been on the street or in the workplace and a, a lady walks past you and there's just waft of perfume follows her down the street or something like that? These days, it's not just the ladies, is it? It's the, it's the men as well. For some reason, you women want your men to smell like ladies. I don't, don't quite understand it. But you, you know, at the end of the day, you have, you've got a guy next to you, right? You, you understand that. He's still a man. And he will still, maybe not in public places like this, but when he's with you alone, he'll still find other smelly stuff funny. You, you, you know that, don't you? Like burping and farting. He's still a man. He can't help it. In fact, that's not fully true, is it? Because men do eventually grow out of finding burping and farting funny. However, the problem is, once they stop finding it funny, they're usually too old to actually stop themselves doing it, aren't they? So, <laughs> sorry, I'm being very naughty there. Sorry, sorry. No, we're called to have a certain smell, aren't we? Aren't we? As, as, as Christians. You know, one of my in-laws, another story, has a certain smell. And uh, it's not a pleasant smell. And me and Anna were in Sainsbury's once. And we walked down this aisle. I, I said, that smells like uh, whoever is in Anna's family. And uh, she said, it does. And we went around the corner down another aisle, and there they were. We followed them by their smell, which is just gross. Anyway, that's not the smell I'm talking about. You as believers, we as believers, are supposed to smell of Christ Jesus. It says this in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, just in case you think I've lost my mind. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and though... And, sorry, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Notice it's in triumphal procession. Paul brings in there the context of battle, which Jesus has already won for you and me on the cross. The passage goes on, verse 15 and 16, to say, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. My friends, when you became a Christian, you have to accept this truth that not everybody is going to like you. And once you accept that truth, it's actually quite liberating. Not everyone is going to like the way you smell. 
as a Christian. And again, let me talking metaphorically here, not physically. You know, when I first came back to Christ, I went for a little period of, of thinking, God just looks at the heart. He doesn't care what I, I smell like or look like. So I stopped wearing deodorant. And uh, my dad, mum and dad are here this morning. And uh, I think it was my dad said to me after a little while in his wor- words of wisdom, which you'll all be grateful for, he said, sigh. He said, God might just be concerned about your heart, but if you want to get close to somebody so you can share Jesus with them, it might be nice that you don't smell so much. So, so I thought, ah, oh, good, good point, Dad, good point. So uh, I'm not talking about our physical smell. I'm talking about us representing Jesus to the people around us. We're called to be his ambassadors. And once we accept that we're not going to be liked by everyone, it's quite liberating for us to think, okay, well, I just need to get on. We're pointing people to Jesus, who is even better than sliced bread, because he is the bread of life. He is the one who can give all who come to him eternal life, as they, and life in all its fullness as well, in this life and in the life to come. Life to life. But for those who reject Jesus, those who, who don't turn to him, they remain under God's judgment so that when they die, they will go to what the Bible calls the second death, which is otherwise known as hell. They're put out of God's presence, death to death. That's what it's talking about in, in that passage. And if you spend a life ignoring God and thinking, no, I'm not, I don't want anything to do with you, then actually... When you die, you get your your wish, if you like, and you're put out of God's presence. It's not a popular message to share this morning, but we're not called to be popular. We're called to be truth-tellers, and this is a message that Jesus shared with people. This is Jesus, the most loving man ever to walk the earth. This is what he taught us, and we're called to proclaim his words to those around us and to demonstrate it through love and kind actions as well. So this is what we're called to do. So we're called to pray, say, okay, God, help me do this, and then speak out and show people the love of Jesus to the world around us. The passage in 2 Corinthians goes on to say this, who is sufficient for these things? For none of us in ourselves uh, can do this. Even Even as I'm speaking to you this morning, some of you will be thinking, gulp. I don't know if I can uh, do that. It's fine here on a Sunday morning, but in my workplace, can I uh, really do that? But Jesus says to you, my friends, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Elsewhere, he says, I will be with you always. He has given you the Holy Spirit. He has filled you with his Spirit and wants you to seek that, the, the regular infilling of the Holy Spirit so that you can do all that he has called you to do. Which leads me on to my final point, expecting God to move in power. The moment Joshua and the people of Israel respond to do what they know is the right thing to do before God, God begins to move. God speaks, verse 8, do not fear them. Why is he saying don't fear? Because in the natural there was a lot to fear, as I've already said. For I, he goes on to say, for I have given them into your hands. Past tense, it's already done. It's already sorted before God. 
not a man of them shall stand before you. Wow, that's words of encouragement for, God, uh, for God's people there. Verse 10, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel. Verse 11, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. God was fighting for his people, securing them the victory that they needed. You know, and in Christ, God has already secured the victory for you through the cross. He has won the battle. He has defeated the devil and evil forces. Yes, you can say amen to that. That's, a, that's good. Can I hear an amen about that? Amen. amen. Good, good. It's, you know, we're called. Uh, Jesus has already won the, the battle. And the reason he hasn't returned yet and we still see the mess around the world is not because he can't wrap up history, but it's because he is wanting more people to reach repentance. He is wanting more people to respond to him and go to heaven to be with him. You can see it in 2 Peter 3 verses 8 to 12 if you want in your, in your own time. God is not slow to fulfill his promise, but is patient towards us. That is what he's doing. Hallelujah. In Christ, you cannot lose. Even in death, you're victorious because you go to be with him, thanks to Jesus on the cross. Yes, as Christians, we will face persecution. Yes, we're called to suffer like Jesus suffered in various types. Not, not necessarily the cross, but there's various sufferings that will come our way. But even that, God uses to advance the kingdom of God. So that through the weak things... And so through the foolish things, he can shame the strong and he can shame the wise. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 14 says this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So even in our trials, we're still victorious and the gospel still advances. But as we continue, we can expect God to fight for us and to secure the victory as he does in this passage. You know, the church in its first 300 years, in its infancy, if you like, uh, where it was most vulnerable, was persecuted first by the Jews and then by the Roman Empire as it tried to stamp it out. But the empire that subdued the whole world was en ended up being subdued by the Christian message, not through force, but because the church loved not its life so much as to shrink from death. So it carried on boldly proclaiming the gospel and demonstrating the love of God to the people around. And you and I, we're called to do likewise to the nation around us and to wherever God sends us. But more than this, let's, let's just look at verses 12 to 14 again in, in Joshua. And here we see that God steps into history and stops the sun and the moon in their normal course 
He, 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 how he does it, you know, that's, that's, you know that's a, I don't know. But uh, God stops it so that the people of Israel, for about a whole day, a 12 or 24-hour period, can carry on and uh, carry on to win the victory. It would explain how they could travel in battle a further 30 miles, uh, fighting all the way and, uh, and secure the victory that they needed to do. God steps in. Do you know, God often moves in miraculous power when we step out in faith. Do you know that? God moves in miraculous power when we step out in faith towards him. Never before, the Bible says, was there a day like this or a day uh, afterwards that was like this. My friends, we serve a miracle-working God who created the laws of physics and the nature And yet, in his sovereignty, he likes to step into history and do things that only God can do in response to his people's faith. Do you understand that? Do you know that? What are your expectations of God here this morning? What are your expectations of God, what God wants to do through you this week as you go out about your weekly business. Now, we have to be careful here. As I said before, we don't, God's not some all-powerful genie waiting for us to come along to give him a command for him to fulfill. No, as uh, when Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What he's talking about is not a magic incantation of in Jesus' name, like an abracadabra to try and make it happen. No, when you ask something in somebody's name in the, at that time, you're asking something in line with that person's character and their will so that God the Father could be glorified. Jesus himself doesn't even do um, what he likes to do. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Actually, it was Jesus' desire to do the Father's will. But what I'm saying, he didn't just go off and do his own thing. He only does what he sees God the Father doing. Joshua knew that he was in line with the will of God because God had told him that he would lead the people of Israel into uh, the promised land to take it. Christchurch. We have been called to be strong and courageous, to not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you as you go and share the love of Jesus in Helsham and beyond by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. He is wanting to move in power, and we need to up our expectation of seeing God move in power and healing amongst us. Do you know we are regularly seeing healings happen amongst us as a church? They might not be uh, big dramatic ones that attract lots of attention, but we're regularly seeing God move in power amongst us. So as you're this week with your friends at coffee, having coffee in Waitrose or in Freedom Leisure swimming or something like that, or in your workplaces... Pray for healing when healing opportunities come along. When someone says, I'm sick, pray for them. Pray for God to intervene in people's situations that you come across. You know, one time when we were doing a week's evangelism in Southampton, there was a guy there called Pete that I was witnessing to. And he said, 
he was, he was uh, saying, oh, I haven't seen my, my son in, in, in months. My ex won't let, me, won't let me see him. I said, okay, let's pray about that. In a short space of time, his ex rung him out of the blue and said, would you like to meet up with, and, uh, so you can see your son? He was so amazed that that week he gave his life to Jesus. My friends, we live in a time where we're believing God is wanting to win back this nation to Jesus. He's wanting to turn many hearts back to him. And he will move in power to do that. Yes, there'll be much opposition when that comes, which is why I've labored that point, so we're not surprised at it. But we should expect God to move in power as his people. So when you're with your friend and they have an issue with their job or their marriage or whatever situation, Offer to pray with them that God would break through in that situation. Next time someone tells you about the condition they've got or some sort of sickness, offer to pray that God would heal them. When people are struggling with their finances, offer to pray that God would bring a breakthrough and give them some uh, financial relief. For people that are hard to reach, pray that God would speak to them in dreams and in visions, and he would just cause something to open them up to him. My friends, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. And whatever you sense the Holy Spirit is saying the Father is doing, go for it and do it with faith, expecting God to move. You know, I don't know about you, but I often find myself like Jonathan and his armor bearer in the story in in 1 Samuel 14. You know, whilst the rest of the Israelites are there cowering, hiding from the Philistines, Joshua says to his armor bearer, let's go over to the Philistine garrison over there. And not the Lord's going to deliver them. He says, and maybe the Lord will deliver uh, them into our hands. He risks his life on a maybe the Lord will deliver them. I don't know about you, but I often find myself in that place of, uh, well, maybe God will do this. You know, in this country, our lives are not on the line for our faith at this present time. So how many more, maybe the Lord will heal in this situation, or maybe the Lord will break through in this situation, should you and I be going for with the people that we come across? So this week... And from this time on, let's be people of the maybe the Lord wants to break out in this situation as we learn to grow in our expectation of God moving in power amongst us. For we can expect God to move in power as you step out in faith and obedience to his leading. Amen? Amen. You have been listening to a sermon from Christchurch Hailsham. For more information or to contact us, visit ChristchurchHailsham.org.